is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. Over the course of the pandemic, tens of thousands of fines for breaching public health orders have been issued in New South Wales. But in recent months, more and more fines are being overturned or ending up in court. Overall, legal organisations say that potentially thousands of fines are not valid or were given to people who simply cannot pay them back, including children. And one case in the New South Wales Supreme Court could see many more fines rolled back. Today, the problem with COVID fines in New South Wales. It's Wednesday, the 27th of July. So, Chris, you've been looking at COVID fines in New South Wales. Can we just start with when were these fines given out and why? Yeah, so the fines we're talking about here were all handed out in New South Wales in the period between 2020, when the first COVID lockdowns began, to December of 2021. Christopher Norse is a reporter for Guardian Australia. And the bulk of the fines were given out last year in a period of a few months when the state was in varying stages of lockdown due to the Delta variant outbreak. Mm, I do remember this time very well. I was locked inside my house for a few months. I remember also that public health restrictions were just changing all the time, week to week and and day to day. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, it was extremely hard to keep up with. Data suggests about 71 amendments to the orders were made between July 2021 and October 2021. Mm. And, you know, the restrictions weren't just changing week to week. They're also changing depending on where you lived uh, because, you know, outbreaks were more severe in, in certain parts of New South Wales. So some LGAs of concern couldn't be outside for more than an, a single hour a day and they had to be exercising. But then, you know, just a few suburbs over were subject to completely different rules. Mm. And accompanying these public health measures were fines. So if you didn't comply with the rules, these very confusing and constantly shifting set of rules, then you received a fine. What were the types of circumstances that people were were fined for? So there were a really broad range of scenarios in which people received fines. One person I spoke to was a man named Rowan Pank. Hello. Oh, hi. Is that Rowan? Yes. Hey, Rowan. It's Chris Norse here from The Guardian. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, Finn from the... His is a familiar story. In August last year, 2021, right in the middle of the Delta lockdown, one day he left his home in Sydney's inner west to go outside. Me and my girlfriend just went for a walk because it was a really sunny day. Lots of people in the park. We decided to take a seat on the hill, not near anyone else. He was there for about 15 minutes when a group of police officers came up to them basically just asked us for our identifications and then asked us what we were doing there. We said that we were in the park, like, exercising, but we were just taking a break. At this point in time, Rowan thought he was complying with the public health orders. To his knowledge, he was doing everything he could to protect himself and others. We found what the the health guidelines and everything said for that date because I guess they kept changing like almost daily. So we found the ones for that day. And it seemed to suggest that you could be in a, in a park for outdoor recreation purposes. 
the grey area around what was exercise was a mainstay of many of the daily press conferences. Exercise looks different to different people depending on how able-bodied you are. And at the time, a lot of people like Rowan received fines for breaches of public health orders when they thought they were complying with the rules. Then they basically said, because we weren't currently exercising, uh, they have to issue us an on-the-spot $1,000 fine. So recently, the New South Wales Law Society president, Joanne van der Plat, wrote to the state premier, Dominic Perrottet, and she said that due to the constantly changing nature of the public health orders, there was a, quote, high likelihood that incorrectly issued fines are prevalent and indeed inevitable. So I didn't think I was breaking any rules. I think we gave them a valid response of, like, we had a reason to be in the park. And they go, okay, well, we have to tell you that it is a $1,000 on-the-spot fine, no warnings. Right, so it sounds like it's possible that many of these fines were issued incorrectly. What happens after a fine like this is issued? So if the fines aren't paid, there's a whole range of enforcement measures that the state will adopt. So they can range from um, cancelling people's driver's licence. I find it crazy too that the first... Like if you just get to the stage of not paying the fine, the the first thing that they do is cancel your driver's license. And like people need that to work potentially. If you want them to actually work off this fine, don't take away the driver's license. To um, seizing their wages through garnishee notices or having their possessions repossessed. So these are really serious consequences that can flow on from a failure to pay a fine. Mm. So the fines that were issued in last year's lockdown, they are now either due or past due. And according to data published in the Sydney Morning Herald, almost 10,000 people have already paid their fines, totaling $8.4 million. But what we know is that there are about 45,000 unpaid fines. Many of those are now in the enforcement stage. Right, so tens of thousands of people are currently facing what sounds like some hefty consequences if they are unable or unwilling to pay their fines. And as we know from a wealth of reporting over the past few years, data shows that these fines are disproportionately issued in disadvantaged areas. Can you remind us of that, Chris, and kind of talk me through that data? So earlier this year, we took a bit of a deep dive into the data, which was obtained by the Redfern Legal Centre using Freedom Information Laws. So what we found was that during last year's lockdown, the suburbs facing larger amounts of fines were some of the most diverse in the country, with large First Nations communities and places where residents were facing really tough COVID restrictions, including curfews and limits on travel. So we're talking about small towns with large Aboriginal populations, including Walgett, Brawarana and Wilcannia. And these towns had the most fines per capita over the entire outbreak. And in Sydney, for example, some of the wealthiest suburbs were receiving far less fines than these areas of disadvantage. Only two suburbs in the state were hit with more than $1 million in fines between July and October last year, Liverpool and Mount Druitt in Sydney's west, while residents in Blacktown were hit with almost $730,000 worth of fines. Right, some of these suburbs are very diverse and somewhere like Mount Druitt has a really large Aboriginal population. What would a fine like this mean for people in some of these communities? 
Well, I spoke to the managing solicitor for the Aboriginal Legal Services Fines Clinic, Lauren Stefanauer, who has been working with a lot of people who have received COVID fines. Mm. She said that the enforcement of fines was causing the suspension of driver's licences for Indigenous Australians. And she said the loss of a driving licence on top of this quite significant debt was having a really dire effect on an already disadvantaged group. For example, she said that many of her clients live in regional and remote areas where public transport isn't available. So the stress of license sanctions in that circumstance only adds to the financial stress that's been caused by the fine debt. Right. Losing your license can have massive consequences, not only for your regular everyday life, but also for paying back these fines, I imagine. You you could see how people might not be able to get to work, might not be able to get to Centrelink appointments, things like that. Yeah, I mean, the impact of losing your driver's licence, particularly if you're in a remote area, I mean, is really profound. It affects every facet of your life. It complicates work, complicates schooling, all sorts of things. Mm. Are there any other examples where fines have been issued to particularly vulnerable people, Chris? Yeah, so I think probably the most shocking example I've seen in my reporting of this, the instances where children as young as 10 have been fined. Mm. So we know that between 3,000 and 4,000 fines have been issued to children and teenagers between the ages of 10 and 17 for breaching COVID rules during the pandemic. Most commonly, they're being fined for failing to comply with a direction under the Public Health Act. And usually they're being fined for amounts of about $1,000. We did see some instances of fines where children were penalised up to $5,000. So overall, we think these fines are worth at least $2.1 million. And various legal services have also received numerous reports of children in out-of-home care receiving COVID fines. How is a child, especially a child in out-of-home care who might not have a stable home life, supposed to pay off a fine? Yeah, well, look, this is the point that many in the community legal services have been making. It's just simply not possible. So an alliance of legal groups, including Community Legal Centres New South Wales, the Peak Group, wrote to the Premier earlier this year and they wanted COVID fines to be withdrawn for children aged 10 to 17. So in that letter, they highlighted that some of these kids were really vulnerable. So they said that, quote, many of these children were also experiencing complex intersecting vulnerabilities, including intellectual disabilities and or mental health conditions, trauma background and interrupted schooling. Mm. So these legal groups were calling for these fines to be replaced with caution. They said the fines were disproportionately affecting disadvantaged communities. So children who had little capacity to pay or to understand the enforcement system were being hit the hardest. So these legal groups believe that all kids and all teenagers should have their fines replaced with cautions, and they asked the New South Wales government to do that. What was their response? So the government, in response to that letter, they rejected the call to replace the fines with cautions. And what we were able to reveal last week was that not only did they reject it, the Chief Commissioner of State Revenue actually suggested in his response that these children could be engaged in unpaid work to pay off their debts. So in response to calls that they should wipe all fines for kids, instead the head of this organisation says kids can just work to pay off their debt, essentially. What is he talking about here? 
Yeah, so what he's referring to here is something that's available in, in New South Wales called work and development orders. The idea behind them is that if you have a fine that maybe you can't afford, you can participate in unpaid work or counselling or courses or treatment programs as a way to sort of reduce your fine amount. They're pretty common and have been in general use for, for quite some time. So we know that tens of thousands of work and development orders have been issued per year. So since we've seen that letter, Revenue New South Wales has confirmed that this is happening for children fined for COVID breaches. Mm. So what we know is that about 794 fines issued to children during the pandemic have led to a work and development order. Mm. So that means about one in five fines that were issued to kids has led to a WDO. Right. So this is fairly common then, the use of these work orders. What has Revenue New South Wales had to say about the appropriateness of this type of program for kids? They're pretty adamant that these orders are optional, they're voluntary, um, they're not imposed on anyone, including kids. And they also say that they don't always involve unpaid work. So, you know, they could involve things like counselling or mentoring or or treatment programs. And they're also very careful to say that the types of unpaid work that we're talking about here could include volunteering at a community event, packing away equipment at a sporting ground, assisting in a canteen or refereeing a sporting match. Revenue New South Wales also said it provides support for vulnerable customers and has a range of alternatives to payment, including, in some cases, waiving the debt. It also employs a First Nations team, does not impose driving licence sanctions as its first course of action, and does proactively contact vulnerable customers, including children, to discuss their fines. Right, so there is some flexibility in how these work orders are implemented that are designed to relieve the burden of this system on vulnerable people, but we're still talking about a system that could allow vulnerable kids to be engaged in unpaid work to pay off these fines. Right, Chris? Yeah, that's right. And look, that's really the source of concern among some of the community legal services. You know, they're saying, you know, these kids just shouldn't have been fined at all um, Mm. and they shouldn't then be placed into a situation where they're paying off their fine by working when... Some of them might not even be old enough to have jobs. I mean, it's a, it's mm. a remarkable situation, really. Next, the Supreme Court case that could see thousands of COVID fines roll back. So, Chris, as you've mentioned, the New South Wales government has declined to change these fines to cautions for kids. Are there any other avenues to challenge these fines, not just for kids, but for anyone who believes that their fine was issued unjustly? Yes. So there is a review system. Um, So anyone who's received a fine can ask Revenue New South Wales for a review. The idea is that they'll look into the circumstances of your fine, the rules that were in place at the time, and decide whether it was issued fairly. As of now, the Redford Legal Centre is asking anyone who thinks they've been fined unfairly to seek a review, even if they've already been rejected by Revenue New South Wales. But failing that, it's pretty tough. So you might have to go to the New South Wales Supreme Court, which three people have done earlier this month, seeking to set a precedent, which could mean that thousands of fines and enforcement orders 
would be found invalid and all of the money paid towards the fines would be refunded. Tell me about this case. Well, Rowan Pank, who we heard from earlier, he challenged his fine and he did so initially through the traditional channels twice. So he filed two reviews with Revenue New South Wales, one in September 2021 and one in May of this year. Both of those appeals were rejected. So then Rowan, with the help of the Redfern Legal Centre and two other plaintiffs, he decided to take his case to the Supreme Court. Yes, yeah, so I heard a lot in the media about Redfern Legal Centre um, trying to fight these fines for months and months. I reached out to them and Sam, the, the legal centre, and she'd mentioned that they were working on this Supreme Court case in, in the background, obviously not to, not to tell anyone because it was confidential at the time. And then she asked if I'd like to be one of the plaintiffs on that, which I agreed to because at this stage, I think the principle of it is just I don't want to yeah, I don't want to pay on principle. It's ridiculous. And this case is proving to be a bit of a test case. So if he's successful, it could have consequences for tens of thousands of other New South Wales residents who have been fined by police. Right. So why would this case have consequences for other people? Can you break that down, Chris? So the plaintiffs in this case are arguing that their fines are not valid because the penalty notices don't provide enough detail as required under the Fines Act. So the Redfern Legal Centre said the description of the fines was so broad that they could apply to hundreds of clauses in the 10 public health orders that were in place at the time. So that makes it really difficult, if not impossible, to actually challenge the fine in a criminal court. Right, so if you have a fine that says fined for sitting on park bench, it's pretty hard to know what public health order you've even breached and then to challenge that in court. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, that's right. I mean, to be able to review or appeal a fine against you, you need to know what you've actually been fined for. And Mm. some of these fines are just so vague that it's just impossible to do that. And as we know, there's still 45,000 fines still to be paid. So it's possible that many of these fines were issued in a similarly vague manner and may have to be wiped if this case is successful. Mm. And that's actually a big motivation behind Rowan's decision to take this to court. So he's the first to admit that he's not the most disadvantaged person to have received a fine, but he says this has become more a matter of principle. I'm, I'm doing this because, I, I, you know, maybe I'm not the most disadvantaged person that's been affected by it, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stand up for everyone and stand up for people that can't stand up for themselves. Um, I guess that's, that's, the, that's the reason I'm doing this. And keep in mind, this isn't the only legal challenge. So there are many individuals who are challenging their fines, Um, in other courts, local courts, and they're looking to what happens in the New South Wales Supreme Court as a sign of of how their challenges could go. How is this case going so far? Well, within days of initiating proceedings, uh, Rowan Pank got some good news. The fine against him was withdrawn. Mm. No reason was given to Rowan Pank about why. Um, It just simply said that his fine had been reviewed again and withdrawn. But The case is still on foot. So the two other plaintiffs that he was joined with are still pushing ahead with their case um, in the hope that it will uh, invalidate theirs and thousands of other COVID fines that were handed over during the course of the pandemic. Right. So I imagine that could take some time, months even, to make its way through the Supreme Court. In the meantime, we have this review system and I can imagine many people won't even access that because it takes a certain level of effort and resources and, and know-how 
to pursue that option. Yeah, that's right. It is part of the the concern among some of the community legal groups. And we know as well that the review system can produce really wildly different results. Mm. As we've seen with Rowan Pank's case, you know, he took it to the Supreme Court. And I've talked to other people who have been fined who have asked for reviews, multiple reviews on exactly the same grounds. And, you know, one time they'll be rejected and then the next time they'll have their fine withdrawn. So there doesn't seem to be a lot of rhyme or reason to the way that the reviews are being conducted. It just feels like every step of the way, everyone is just completely against you. They just seem to be shutting you out. It's like, no, the fine is going to stand unless you want to take it to court. Considering all the issues that you've outlined so far with these fines, is there a valid argument for a fine amnesty, meaning pausing or even abandoning the enforcement of these fines altogether? Especially because when you think about it, these fines were issued in a certain time and place as a deterrent during a massive Delta outbreak, and that time has now passed. I think there are some fines that were issued during this period for particularly egregious offences and you know, we should should keep that in mind. But when we're talking about kids, when we're talking about low socioeconomic areas, when we're talking about Indigenous communities, I mean, the impact of these fines is so profound that I think the argument for continuing to enforce them just doesn't stack up. Mm. Um, and that's why we have seen such loud calls for these fines to be replaced with cautions. Is it also about the burden of responsibility, that the New South Wales government should review these fines and find the people who are the most vulnerable, find the fines that were issued unjustly and wipe them clean rather than people having to pursue it themselves. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You know, it's, it's the government that has chosen to enforce this in in such a, a strong um, and vigorous way. So I think the onus is, is clearly on them to make sure that they, in enforcing these fines, are not having a disproportionate effect on, on vulnerable and, 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 and disadvantaged groups. That was Christopher Norse, a reporter at Guardian Australia. You can read his reporting on this issue at theguardian.com, including his exclusive story titled New South Wales Government Suggested Children as Young as 10 Could Work Off $1,000 COVID Fines. We've linked to that and others on the full story page. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Daniel Simo, who also did the sound design and mixing. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. If you liked this episode, you can leave a rating or a review. It does help other people find the show. Okay, thanks for listening. Catch you next time.